Well, it's no secret that this is Labor Day weekend. It's all around us. We understand it easily. Labor Day. That's the day we celebrate labor, right? Labor, work. That's a good thing. Remember, God is the one who worked in creation and making humans in his image, he gave Adam a job. He gave him work to tend the garden and watch over it all. So my question is, why do we take the day off of work? <laughs> why, why do we say, I'm not going to work, and in that way celebrate work? Is it just me? I guess perhaps I'll admit I look at things just a little bit differently than a lot of people. Sometimes, maybe a lot of times. Jeremiah certainly looked at things differently. You've got a good feel for that by now. He looked at things differently because God looked at things differently, and it was God who was behind the message of Jeremiah. God put his words into Jeremiah's mouth. And if you've been counting, this is the 14th time you've heard God through Jeremiah. You've heard about Jeremiah 14 times. How many of those times have you been a part of hearing of Jeremiah? I don't know. This is my third. And maybe you'll get to the end of this sermon this 14th time. Maybe you will indeed survive. And surviving is what this message is all about. Not surviving a sermon but surviving a lot of other things. Jeremiah's book is really quite long. If you've looked at it, been following along, 52 chapters long. Tells us a lot about the people, a lot about here. Him. You heard Pastor Sean read the first reading from Jeremiah. It was the very end of the book, the very end of what was recorded. And quite frankly, for me, that different perspective kind of dry. But if we back up a little bit, we get a different perspective on the end and surviving. Listen from earlier in chapter 52. So Judah went into captivity away from her land. That's the people of Israel. This is the number of people Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile. In the seventh year, 3,023 Jews. In Nebuchadnezzar's 18th year, 832 people from Jerusalem. In his 23rd year, 745 Jews were taken into exile by the commander of the Imperial Guard. There were 4,600 people in all. Carried away into exile. That's the end of the story the end of the incident, the end of the narrative, and even more. What shall we make of all of this? Along the way, Jeremiah had been delivering God's word again and again. And God's message was, people, you have turned away from me. You've sinned. You've sinned, and I'm calling you back. I'm pointing out your sin. I'm calling you to repent, to turn around and turn toward me. Otherwise, otherwise it's doom and destruction if you don't do so. And because 
God's people didn't do that, doom and destruction came. God had warned about them of the fall of Jerusalem and the area of Judah, and that's exactly what happened. Maybe Jeremiah thought a little bit differently when all this happened. Maybe, well, maybe if I were Jeremiah, I would have thought and maybe said, I told you so. I told you you were sinning. I told you what God told me to repent and to turn around. What do you expect? What did you expect other than the fall of this great city and of this nation? Judgment came. God's judgment. The Babylonians came from the east and it wiped out the country terribly. They totally destroyed everything in their path. They conquered the city Jerusalem and laid waste of it. They tore down the temple, the very house of God, those two things most dear to the people of that nation. They all but wiped it out, all but wiped it out. But the people, they were defeated. Only a few remained, a relatively small group, as you just heard me read. Just a small group survived, and they they were taken away from their home to Babylon, back to the far east of where they lived. And they were taken there to live in exile, away from everything they knew, away from their homeland. We've read about it. You can read about it, especially in chapter 25, chapter 52 of Jeremiah. The unthinkable happened almost 600 years before Jesus, is when all this took place. Israel fell, and great was the fall of it. People lost a lot. It's almost as though a fire struck, a a ravaging fire. It's almost like a flood overtook them and, and drowned them all. It's almost like a hurricane that left almost nothing in its path. It was that but it was worse. People, many, many people lost their lives. Many who survived lost their friends, their family, their loved ones, their property. They lost their way of life, their occupation, the things they were used to. They lost their security as they lost the very capital of their country, Jerusalem, and the very house of God, the temple. Can you imagine it? I can't quite imagine it. And I can't quite imagine the fear that gripped them when all this took place. A fear that results from the unthinkable, the unknown that they faced. Because even the land, the promised land, was ripped from them. The land that was promised to Abraham centuries before that would be their eternal inheritance. They even were about to give up on God. They were. But you know, empires come and empires go. We read history in the empire of Egypt. It lasted about 550 years. And the Roman Empire that we often think about when we think of empires, 505 years. What about us? What about the U.S.? of A, our empire 
so to speak. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about us falling as a nation? Maybe, maybe not. And if you have, it probably could easily be thought about in these days. Talk about what is unthinkable. Look around, as many do, and what do we see? But we see our nation crumbling. We see it even falling, falling away from God in many ways, morally, spiritually, and any kinds of ways you can think and number. Hatred and disrespect are current today. And even more, there is unrest and a lot of fear results. I don't think I'm any, I don't think I'm planting any seeds of all this. I believe it's all in a lot of people's minds. And maybe what I'm doing is just bringing to the surface what is deep down in many, maybe even your minds and hearts. But Jeremiah and his people, they can't but lead us to that altogether. And we can't help but wonder if we will fall. We're not eternal. Our empire, our country, I know this is disturbing, but so it is. The sins are all around us. And what results is close at hand. It's fear. And it leads us. It leads us not just to point a finger beyond ourselves, but to look inside. That's what God would have us do, is to begin with ourselves, to take a spiritual inventory, and to come to grips with our sin and turn back to God by his call to repentance. That's the first step. But then comes survival. Then comes the question of survival and how to do that. Well, the question, why survive? Should we try to survive? The answer is yes. Yes, indeed. I mean to survive all of these things. All the things we heard about in today's gospel reading as it was read a few moments ago. To survive, you see, is a natural instinct. God has built it into every single human being. It's part of our DNA, if you will. We thrive on life, not on death. We may feel differently from time to time, but deep down the drive for life is ours, the drive for survival. It's that simple, and yet it's not easy. It's far from easy. But this, this is also part of our spiritual DNA, the, the new life that God has engendered within us. It's a part of the DNA that, that seeks, that longs for, that works toward survival, that relationship with God. We don't want it to part. We don't want it ripped from us. We want to live the new life. This is the here and the now. But this, all its problems, all its challenges, everything around and everything within, listen, this is not the end of the story. It's not. Billy Graham was once asked, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, my very first message with you here, 
when all these things are seen and taken into consideration, Billy Graham was asked, what do you think? And do you know what he said? I know the end of the story. Isn't that great? Because you and I, despite and in the midst of everything, we know the end of the story. There's the end of history, but the end of his story, God's story. You see the end of history, just the beginning of the next phase of God's story. And as it is, we are reminded, we are reminded through the scriptures, your namesake as a congregation puts it clearly in Daniel chapter 12. At that time, Michael, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's his story, God's. Something good awaits us even beyond this history. It will be the end of what we call history, but just the beginning of the better, bigger part of God's story. Remember Easter? Oh, we can't have that's the very center of our faith. In St. Paul, we turn to his words in 1 Corinthians 15, and what does he tell us? If Christ isn't risen, your faith is in vain. But he is risen. And because he's risen, we will rise too. Make no mistake, Paul wrote. Make no mistake for us today. The end of this is only the beginning of the next phase as we too will rise again as Jesus guaranteed. When we hear about the end of the world as Jesus described it, and you did hear a portion of that in today's gospel reading, fear may grip, but only for a moment. It may create a disturbing picture, but Jesus himself says in describing all of this that it's like the pains of birth. The pains of birth, I don't personally know about. I can't, I never will. But I secondhand know about them, and I know from even some distance that what results after the pains of birth is something new, something great, something wonderful. A child come from mother into the world. And you know, when all those bad things take place, one of the other gospel writers in Luke chapter 21 reminds us of something that when Jesus says this, he doesn't say, when all these bad things begin to happen, run for the hills, duck, hide. No. We're told by Luke's account, Jesus said, look up. Look up because your redemption is drawing near. We can keep our chin up. We can keep our eyes focused up for his story again and again. This is what I would call in others the kingdom perspective. Getting up in that airplane, right? Getting up in that airplane and seeing the big picture, 
the whole picture as God sees it, as he has laid it out. That's what we need. And that's the thing we need to keep going back to again and again, rather than getting stuck on the present to look up. That doesn't mean que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. No. It's faith in God and it's going about the business he has given us. Not simply sitting back and doing nothing. It means we can see things from God's perspective and wholly engage in what he has laid out for us to do. Why survive? Because of life. Because of new life. And how can we do that? That's the next question. It takes that kingdom perspective, and with it, it takes faith. Faith. A lot of people talk about faith as though to have faith in faith is what the big deal is. Or to say, behind every cloud there's a silver lining. That's not our faith. Our faith is in God and who he is and what he's done the promises, he, the promises he has made. The promises, therefore, that he will keep. Surviving takes faith. Faith in God. That kind of genuine faith is our anchor. What the book of Hebrews calls the anchor of our soul. Something to believe in, namely God. Fear is the opposite of such faith. And that kind of fear is going to well up in us too. It will from time to time. It may even grip us tightly for a while. But then God opens up again and again through the scriptures that kingdom perspective that we can hang on to. That's why we build it up, our faith. That's why we let God do his work, especially his work in building up our faith. It's kind of like Martin Luther once uh, gave an image he said the devil and all, he, all his doings are like a dog, a mad dog, on a chain, but staked to a chain. You get too close, you get involved, you can be hurt, you can die. But God has limited those things that are evil, those things that are scary, those things that are all around us, and he's allowed us to live outside of that danger and even beyond it. Jesus ran that race. And that's what the scriptures say, run the race of faith. Reminds me of what Winston Churchill said during the Great War. Short speech, but never to be forgotten. He said, never give up. Never. 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 What a speech. What an inspiration. And people responded. Run the race is God's word to us. That faith leads us to perseverance in running the race. Perseverance. Never give up. Because Jesus ran that race, he came to earth as one of us, bringing his Godhead with us, but running the human race and changing it from a rat race to the human race that could be completed as he went to the cross, as he went to the grave, but as he went beyond the grave to the bigger picture of his resurrection that guarantees our resurrection. 
and our ability to persevere. It takes faith. It takes perseverance. And it takes hope in these days. And hope, the Bible says, does not disappoint us. Why? Because it, like faith, is rooted in God. In God, who He is, what He's done. Our faith is rooted in Jesus, how He brought us back to God. And by the power of the Spirit, keeps us rooted and grounded and connected to God. That makes it a sure and a certain hope. 1 Corinthians 1.8 says, Jesus will keep you strong to the end. That's what you and I can count on, being strong to the end. And it's like St. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Hope is what God provides. What the scriptures speak, God's word. All of this, understand, all of this, his story is countercultural. It goes against the grain of the way people look at things. It's that different perspective, like I was talking about me and some things. It's different, but it's true. Holding to life, we keep the faith and we grow into it. Persevering the faith, we run the race. And living in hope, a hope that's anchored in God. You're in good hands with Allstate. That's what they say. But we are in the best hands, in God's hands, now because he rules. Always, completely. Let me share a prayer with you. A prayer you probably hear often. Lord God, you've called your servants to ventures of which we cannot see the ending, by paths as yet untrodden through perils unknown. Give us faith to go out with good courage, not knowing where we go, but only that your hand is leading us and your love supporting us through Jesus Christ. Amen.